Welcome to the Small Hours Podcast. My name's Al Gavada. Thank you very much for joining us. I really do appreciate it. It is episode 4444. That's cuatro in Spanish. I don't know any other languages. Uh, if I did, I'd share it with you. Want to start off the show this week with just a little recap of something fun I got to do yesterday. Had the opportunity to check out Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory on the big screen for the first time. I've seen this movie over and over again. I own it at least on DVD, if not Blu-ray. Pretty sure it's just DVD, though. But yesterday, got a chance to check it out at a local theater. And we've got to meet two of the children actors, who obviously are not children anymore, uh, actually live and in person. Julie Dawn Cole, a.k.a. Veruca Salt. AKA my crush got to meet her, got to take a picture with her. That was kind of cool. Mike TV, Paris Themen was also there as well. Super gracious, really cool, really nice. Got to uh, talk to them after the screening of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. They did a Q&A and so much more. So it was a lot of fun. I'd seen it so many times uh, over my life that seeing it on the big screen for the first time was like seeing it literally for the first time. Plus, I got to share it with not only my wife, but my son as well. So that was really fun. Let's kick off the news with some uh, stories or actually some info from BoxOfficeMojo.com. Weekend Box Office is up from last year with the arrival of two new wide releases, the latest YA adaptation of The Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials, and the Johnny Depp-led Whitey Bulger story, Black Mass. However, the weekend's biggest news doesn't come with the wide releases. The uh, big talking points come when we look at the limited IMAX and premium large format releases of Universal's Everest and the release of Sicario in only six theaters. But let's start at the top. Topping off the weekend, like I mentioned before, one of the new releases, Maze Runner. That was the first one that took the top with $30.3 million to go along with a B-plus cinema score. Both the weekend box office and score are down from the first film in the franchise, last year's Maze Runner, which opened with $32.5 million and an A-minus cinema score. This makes uh, for an easy comparison with the Divergent series, which saw the second film opened with $2.4 million less than its predecessor. Scorch Trials has already brought in $78 million for a worldwide of uh, $108.3 million. In second place, Black Mass managed an estimated $23.36 million and a B cinema score. That cinema score doesn't necessarily bode well for the film's future, as most of the talks surrounding the feature has centered on Johnny Depp's performance and not really about the movie itself. The opening puts the film on par with 2010's The Town, which opened with $23.8 million, but below 2006's The Departed, which opened with $26.8 million. Black Mass, however, opened in more theaters than both of them. Universal continues its record-breaking year, this time with the unprecedented decision to open Everest, a new non-franchise release, on IMAX and premium large format screens exclusively before going wide next weekend. The bet paid off. The 3D feature proved a success in just 545 theaters, bringing in $7.5 million. That's about a little over 13500 per theater average. It's a little off the $8.7 million projection, but the only real comparison to look at was 2011's Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which was not only the fourth film in a successful franchise, but a holiday release to boot. Taking that into consideration, this result nearly doubles the previous September IMAX domestic opening record of $3.1 million set by The Equalizer last year. In addition to the domestic release, Everest added another $28.2 million from 36 international territories, propelling Universal Pictures past the $4 billion mark, bringing the studio's worldwide total to nearly $6.3 billion worldwide. Remember, without a superhero film. So that's crazy. Congratulations to Universal and their fantastic year they're having. Then we come to Lionsgate's Sicario, which was massive in limited release, opening in only six theaters. It brought 
in an impressive $390,000. That's a $65,000 per theater average, a record for 2015, and the second highest ever for a Lionsgate release. The film will enjoy a limited expansion next weekend before releasing nationwide on October the 2nd. Looking at last weekend's new releases, The Visit dropped 55% for an estimated three-day total of a little over $11 million, bringing the film's total to 42.3. Meanwhile, Sony's The Perfect Guy, last week's number one, took an even steeper tumble, dropping 63% in its second week, bringing in an estimated $9.6 million on that. The top 10 looking like this. Maze Runner, number one, with 30.3. Black Mass, number two, with 22.6. The Visit, 11.5 at number three. The Perfect Guy dropping down to number four, like I said, with 9.7 million. And the new one, of course, Everest, pulling in 7.2 million. War Room at number six. A Walk in the Woods, Mission Impossible dropping down out of the top five for the first time. Still pulling in a little over $2 million for the uh, weekend. Straight out of Compton in at number nine with uh, just under $2 million. Grandma in at number 10 with 1.5 million and the last new release that made any sort of splash was Captive pulling in 1.3 million dollars in only 806 theaters. New movies this weekend off of imdb.com one of them, Hotel Transylvania 2 Dracula and his friends try to bring out the monster and his half-human half-vampire grandson in order to keep Mavis from leaving the hotel the director, Jendi Tartakovsky, I hope I pronounced that right, the creator of uh, Dexter's Lab and so many other things, is directing this one as well, starring Adam Sandler, Andy Samberg, repeating their roles along with Selena Gomez, Kevin James, and so many more. The buzz, people saw Hotel Transylvania first because, well, it, it had a premise that people could relate to, a father's concerns for his teenage daughter and her first big crush. The second chapter is a little more convoluted, as sequels can be. It's a little more cutting as far as the humor is concerned. Uh, Adam Sandler has has a screenwriting credit this time around, so we'll see what happens with that. Mel Brooks joins the cast as Vlad, the uber vampire patriarch, so we'll see. Hotel Transylvania should take a um, big bite out of the box office this weekend just because of its uh, predecessor success. I think it looks pretty funny. We'll see how it turns out. Another one coming out, The Intern with uh, Robert De Niro. 70-year-old widower Ben Whitaker has discovered that retirement, well, it's not all it's cracked up to me. He seizes an opportunity to get back in the game, becomes a senior intern at an online fashion site. It's directed by Nancy Myers, also stars Anne Hathaway and Rene Russo. The one positive thing, I guess, the buzz is about this is that um, it seems to be marketed at a pretty specific demographic. So if you're into the type of uh, Nancy Meyer stories that uh, she's done previously, chances are this one, you're going to go watch it. Otherwise, you're going to be like, meh, which is kind of my reaction when I saw the preview. The uh, Green Inferno. Now, this one was a long time coming. Uh, it was filmed in 2013. It's about a group of student activists traveling to the Amazon to save the rainforest, soon discover that they are not alone, and that no good deed goes unpunished. Of course, director Eli Roth is making sure that the Red Band trailer you see on the internet is letting you in on some of the gory stuff that's going on. I got to check that out. It looks interesting. The buzz. Are young activists just meddling teenagers? Part of Eli Roth's macabre imagination addresses this question, of course, uh, Going the route of Cannibal Holocaust and other genre classics before filling it up with even more terror, torture, and dehumanization. So be on the lookout for that one. The Green Inferno running in at 100 minutes. It is, of course, rated R. From CinemaBlend.com, on the surface, X-Men Apocalypse will be a no-holds-barred battle between the ancient Egyptian antagonist, plus his four horsemen, and the uh, superhero team. However, it's going to be more than just a visual spectacle. The movie 
also marks the conclusion of the First Class Trilogy, which has followed Professor X, Magneto, Mystique, and Beast in their younger years. According to the executive producer, this wrap-up will be just as satisfying as a fight with Apocalypse. X-Men First Class, X-Men Days of Future Past, which was great, told the adventures of the younger characters in 1962 and 1973, respectively, giving moviegoers insight into what they were like before the original X-Men film trilogy. X-Men Apocalypse jumps another decade to 1983 at a time when Professor X's school is flourishing, Magneto's trying to lead a new life, Mystique is helping her fellow mutants escape persecution. Other first-class characters who will appear include uh, Maura McTaggart, Havoc, Quicksilver, which is handled fantastically in Days of Future Past. I hope they do a great scene with him again. The movie also features teenage versions of Cyclops, Jean Grey, Storm, Nightcrawler, and Angel, so those are going to be uh, fun to look forward to. James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, and Nicholas Holt all signed three-picture deals when they joined the X-Men universe, making X-Men Apocalypse the final film on their contract. It remains to be seen if any of these actors will extend the deals, but it sounds like whatever happens, Apocalypse will offer a satisfying conclusion to this story told over the last five years. Although, given that the timeline was changed in the last movie, for all we know, their lives could be significantly different compared to the original films. While this particular story is ending, the franchise isn't going anywhere. Deadpool and Gambit spin-offs are on the way. Wolverine 3 will conclude Hugh Jackman's tenure as he clawed mutant in 2017. There's X-Force and New Mutants films also in development, which will allow Fox to keep making mutant team movies without labeling them specifically as X-Men films. We'll see the end of the first-class trilogy when X-Men Apocalypse is released coming up on May 27th of next year. Out of CinemaBlend.com, Roland Emmerich recently announced the end of filming of his long-awaited Independence Day 2, subtitled Resurgence. The director's been shooting in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he commemorated the rap with a photo of a double rainbow. Uh, Independence Day Resurgence picks up years after the first film, of course, which starred Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. Though Smith will not be appearing in the film, Goldblum will, and he'll do so in a world where the government is using scrap alien technology to create a new line of defense in the case of any future alien invasions. Unfortunately for them, they're still left ill-equipped to handle the second alien incursion, and the fate of Earth is once again left in the hands of a small group of brave men and women. In addition to Goldblum, the cast includes the returning Vivica A. Fox and Bill Pullman, as well as newcomers Liam Helmsworth and Joey King, as well as William Fickner, Charlotte Gainsbourg, and many, many more. Independence Day 2 is scheduled to hit theaters on June 24th next year. According to Emmerich, there are no reshoots planned for it right now, and uh, according to him, he's done, so that's good. I don't know if you caught this or not, but there's a movie coming out, uh, hopefully very, very soon, called Hardcore. Well, I'll tell you what, man. In Hardcore, you will experience every delirious second through the eyes of the protagonist, Henry, a newly resurrected cybernetic super soldier tasked with saving his brilliant wife from a psychotic paramilitary psychic who aspires to make it in the world domination racket. With guidance from the eccentric Jimmy, played by Sherido Copley, which it just in the preview, he shows off a little bit of what you can expect. Henry will punch, kick, parry, and parkour his way across Russia, battling all manner of gun-toting, sword-wielding, flame-throwing mercenaries as you watch through his eyes. If you didn't see the first-person perspective, whether it was on the music videos for the band Biting Elbows or the kind of teaser they did for Hardcore, they take the unbroken POV action to dizzying heights. I mean, the camera is going through so much. As a matter of fact, in the trailer... 
Just watch it because the ending, you're like, how the heck did they do this? It looks really, really cool. So you want to be on the lookout for this one. It kind of mirrors Half-Life and Mirror's Edge, giving us a new breed of action movie that's practically a pure distillation of the genre because you are the protagonist. Strap yourself in, put your helmet on, apply all the action movie adjectives because this time they ain't just spewing hyperbole. Hardcore is a nonstop, action-packed, white-knuckle, crackerjack thrill ride. And once it starts... There's no getting off. I'm really looking forward to this one. Some news out of Variety.com. Paramount Pictures announced this week that Adam McKay's The Big Short, with an all-star cast featuring Christian Bale, Brad Pitt, Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Marissa Tomei, and Melissa Leo, will be getting a December 2015 release. If you haven't heard about this movie, check this out. It's based on the book by Michael Lewis. Uh, tells the story of Bond and real estate derivative geeks who saw the housing crash of 2008 coming, and they bet against the collateralized debt obligation bubble, therefore striking it rich. It's kind of like betting the... Don't pass line when you're playing craps in Vegas. These guys who are really just trying to stick it to the big banks, which, of course, they'd be bailed out, they hit the jackpot while the American dream was being flushed down the toilet for everyone else. The Big Short's going to be hitting theaters in limited release December 18th, and it could be an awards play for Christian Bale and particularly Steve Carell, with other hopes for Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay also in the uh, in the edges there. It's a potential power player for New Regency, already writing a 1-2 Best Picture punch in 12 Years a Slave and Birdman. Like David Gordon Green's Our Brand is Crisis, it tackles current events from a dark humor angle that could resonate amid other deadly serious contenders like Black Mass or The Danish Girl. From TheGuardian.com, Ridley Scott is now planning up to four, count them, four Prometheus films with the final installment linking up to the events of his classic 1979 space horror, Alien. When he was talking to German site FilmFutter, Scott confirmed that plans to eventually connect the two space sagas and explain the origins of the hideous xenomorph extraterrestrials remained intact but suggesting his upcoming sequel to the 2012 Prometheus would expand rather than contract the narrative. It won't be this film. It's going to be the other one after this one, or maybe even a fourth film, before we get back into the Alien franchise. Prometheus was originally billed as a film, quote, sharing strands of Alien's DNA, unquote, but only a prototype of the xenomorph ultimately appeared on film, or on screen, rather. The thriller instead focused its attention on the engineers, a race of human-like beings who may have created life on Earth, but they failed to explain pretty much about them. Now, Scott himself said the whole point of Prometheus was to explain how and why the creation of the alien itself happened, he added, I always thought of the alien as kind of a piece of bacterial warfare. I always thought that the original ship, which I called the croissant, was a battleship holding these biomechanoid creatures that were all about destruction. Now, to complicate things a little bit more in this universe, a fifth Alien film from District 9 director Neil Blomkamp is also moving forward, but it looks like Prometheus 2 will be arriving first on our screens. The sequel is set to debut in 2017. So, if the final two movies arrive in 2019 and 2021, based on, you know, two years in between films, uh, Ridley Scott would be at least 83 years old by the time the saga is finally complete. So, let's give him health. Send our prayers up there. The director's next movie, of course, coming out is The Martian with Matt Damon, and that's going to be arriving in the U.S. on the 2nd of October. 
Last Sunday's telecast of the 67th Annual Primetime Emmy Awards has drawn the show's smallest audience on record. This is according to Variety.com. Only 11.9 million viewers tuned in, according to the preliminary estimates from Nielsen that are adjusted for the different time zones. It was down nearly 4 million viewers from last year's show that aired on a Monday in late August. Didn't have to face an NFL game. Uh, and since I didn't watch it and neither did you, that's all I'm going to say about the Primetime Emmy Awards. I will say this, however, about another TV show from BBC.com, also seen declining ratings. Viewers in their millions deserted Doctor Who as it returned to BBC One for a new series. An average 4.6 million watched Peter Capaldi back for his second series playing the Time Lord, compared with 6.8 million for his full debut last year. Reviewers are enthusiastic about his return. They were getting five stars here, five stars there. Doctor Who was a most watched BBC program for the evening, and ratings will rise a little bit once Figures for uh you know uh, are totaled up completely, so we'll see what happens with that. Jenna Coleman is leaving, however, she's going to be starring in a series about Queen Victoria. She plays the Doctor's assistant, Clara Oswald. She revealed this week that she would be leaving the show, having joined in 2012 when Matt Smith was serving as a Time Lord. She said about her departure, "It's been in the works for a very long time." Writer Stephen Moffat and I sat down a year and a half ago, tried to work out the best place to do it and tell a really good story. We're not going to give any details, but it will happen at some point this season. We worked out a really good story arc, so it hopefully people will love it. Now, um, I don't know if you know, but um, oh, what's her name? Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones? She's also going to be on the finale, so is she going to be taking over as the Doctor's assistant? We'll see what happens with that. Moving on to some music news in just a, just a little bit, I promise you. The Beatles' first recording contract has been sold in auction in New York, and when I first saw the figure, I was blown away. The original figure I heard was $75,000. The 1961 contract resulted in the single My Bonnie, a version of a children's song. It was released under the name Tony Sheridan and the Beat Brothers, but it did catch the attention of Brian Epstein, who later became the band's manager. The six-page contract was sold by the estate of German's Beatle collector, Yui Blaschke, who died died in 2010. In the early 60s, the Beatles regularly performed at nightclubs in the uh, German city of Hamburg, where the contract was signed. The band had been backing British singer Tony Sheridan at the time. The contract includes the signatures of John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and drummer Pete Best, who was later replaced by Ringo Starr. So if you're the person who bought it, you might want to take to Ringo Starr so you can also have him autograph that as well. The people that were selling the contract said had they not spent this time in Hamburg, they may have not become the musical force they did. Had they not recorded My Bonnie, they may have never come to the attention of Brian Epstein. My Bonnie was released only in Germany. The following year, with Brian Epstein as their manager, the Beatles recorded a little song you might recall called Love Me Do, their first single under the Beatles' name. Metal Ahead. Please exit now to avoid getting caught in the awesome. All right, there you go. That'll do it for the entertainment news portion of our show. Now we're going to be moving on to our featured song of the week. This time around, we're going to be doing a song by Eden Kaiser. Eden Kaiser is a black metal outfit out of Barcelona, Spain, or Barcelona, España, whose brutality was first unleashed back in 2009. Eden Kaiser is comprised of Leanne Crossburner on vocals, Hawk Moon on guitars, Eon on bass, and Angroth manning the drums. They're raw 
Visceral style debuted on their demo Into the Eternal War and was followed by an EP called Doomsday Juggernaut. They appeared on Rebirth to the Grotesque, a tribute to Vomitory, the official compilation, before crushing out their full album Dominum Ex Mortis. That was released on February 21st by Black Steel Music. You can find out more about the band at facebook.com slash Eden Kaiser Band. Let me spell that for you. E-D-E-N-K-A-I-S-E-R Band. Enough about the band. Let's get to the music. This is Eden Kaiser with Hail to the Godslayer, this week's featured track on the Small Hours podcast with Al Guevara. Hey, but don't take my word for it. Soy Leanne Crossbarner de Eden Kaiser. Les dejo con el tema Hail to the Godslayer, que cuenta con la participación de Tony Demolition Mandola. Hey! 
Hail to the God Slayer. That is Eden Kaiser again. Facebook.com slash Eden Kaiser Band. Thank you very much to Leanne and everybody in Eden Kaiser for providing us a track for uh, this featured song of the week on the Small Hours Podcast. Really do appreciate it. If you are a band who would like to be considered to be featured on our show, drop me an email. Smallhoursemail at gmail.com. That's smallhoursemail at gmail.com. Hope you had a good time listening to episode four of the Small Hours Podcast. I had a blast doing it, and I hope to see you around next week. You can find the Small Hours Podcast at thesmallhours.podbean.com. That is thesmallhours.podbean.com. Tell your friends, share it, and we'd love to hear from you. Again, the email, email at gmail.com. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Small Hours Podcast with Al Guevara. My name is, guess what, Al Guevara, and we'll catch you next time.